Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. On the news of the day, yes, indeed, it still swirls. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, but now we know even more about it. And that is uh, Donald Trump's call now. He tweeted it out yesterday morning. We reported it here, breaking news on the Bill Press Show, that he wants now a major, 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 everything is big, major investigation into voter fraud in this country, of the evidence of which there is none. But this follows, of course, on Donald Trump's comment the uh, evening before Monday evening with congressional leaders that he would have won the popular vote as well as the electoral vote if only four to five million people who are here illegally had not gone out and voted for Hillary Clinton. And of course, my response to that is, if that really were organized by Hillary Clinton, then why didn't she send them to Wisconsin and um, Michigan and Pennsylvania? Uh, Too bad that she didn't. Actually, no, voter fraud is bad, bad, bad. But you know, the problem is for Donald Trump, It does not exist. Again, he was asked about this last night in this interview with David Muir from ABC News. uh, And uh, Donald Trump again says that um, that, uh, David Muir's question is, by making that charge without any evidence, doesn't hurt your credibility. Do you think that your words matter more? Yes, very much. Do you think that that talking about millions of illegal votes is dangerous to this country. No, not at all. Presenting the not evidence. at all, because many people feel the same way that I do. And you don't think it undermines your credibility? If no, no, not evidence? at all, because they would, they didn't come to me. Believe me, those were Hillary votes. Again, <laughs> what is he? This is what he believes. But they were not Hillary votes. They were, they were not Hillary votes. The secretaries of state of fifty states have said there is no evidence at all of any voter fraud or people who were here, people undocumented. Uh, residents of this country, non-citizens voting for Hillary Clinton, does not exist. Uh, and so then, uh, again, David Muir presses a little bit. Come on, you need some evidence. What you have presented so far has been debunked. It's been called has, false. I take called, a look at the Pew report. I called the author of the Pew report last night, and he told me that they found no evidence really? of voter then fraud. Really? Then why did he write the report? Yeah. Why he's done, he hasn't read the report again? I mentioned he hasn't read the report. I told you this yesterday. I, I just repeated. Okay, the Pew report, which they say was in 2008, was not. There was no Pew report in 2008. It was in 2012. Just a little fact. By the way, none of this has to do with 2016. No. Okay, <laughs> which nobody seems to point out. <laughs> Donald Trump right. is alleging there was fraud in 2016, and as evidence, he cites a Pew report from 2008. Okay, which again doesn't exist. There was one in 2012, which is still not 2016. And the one in 2012 said there were some problems with voter rolls, sloppiness in voter rolls, meaning there were cases in a lot of states of people who were registered to vote in more than one state because they had moved and their registration, when they registered in a new state, they had not unregistered because nobody does that. 
in the old state. And there were cases where some people had died and their names, because the rolls hadn't been cleaned up yet, their names were still on the voter rolls. Let me tell you something. I want to tell you with absolute certainty, okay, I am absolutely certain of this, that those people who died did not vote in that election. Of that, you can be sure. Wow, another lie from the liberal media. (laughs) But Donald Trump thinks they might have, right? And so how about this Pew Report? The author of the Pew Report goes on CNN with Wolf Blitzer last night. Here's what he says. There is absolutely no evidence of voter fraud even approaching that scale. Does voter fraud exist? Yes, it does, in very small numbers. And the election officials around the country are working to investigate and prosecute those dozens of cases that might occur nationwide in an election like this. But three to five million illegal votes That would have been discovered not just on Election Day, but well before fraudulent registrations, not matching to driver's license numbers and Social Security numbers, flagged for ID under federal law, extra provisional ballots being cast. All of these things we would have seen, and there was zero evidence of that. Zero evidence. So he's citing a report, and the author of the report is out there saying it doesn't say what Donald Trump says, but Donald Trump believes it. Therefore, we're going to have a major investigation. This is a funny farm, folks. I mean, what the hell are we doing? And now more has come out about Donald Trump's evidence. He told these congressional leaders, well, here's why I know there's something funny going on. My great friend, Bernard Longer, the golfer. Can I read this story? This is is Glenn Thrush. I I want to read it word for word from Glenn Thrush in the New York Times. Got it. The, witness, the witnesses described the story this way. Mr. Longer, a 59-year-old native of Bavaria, Germany, a winner of the Masters twice and of more than 100 events on major professional golf tours around the world, was standing in line at a polling place near his home in Florida on Election Day, Trump explained, when an, ele- when an official informed Mr. Longer he would not be able to vote. Ahead of and behind Mr. Longer were voters who did not look as if they should be allowed to vote. According to Mr. Mr. Longer. Mr. Trump. Well, Mr. Trump said yes. According oh, to Mr. Longer, yeah. Mr. Trump said that. Yeah. Why? Oh, because maybe they were dark-skinned. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a couple of uh, very good golfers who are also dark-skinned. Well, yeah. um, they shouldn't be allowed to vote, though. But they were nonetheless permitted to cast provisional ballots. The president threw out the names of Latin American countries that the voters might have come from. Might have come from right mr longer whom he described as a supporter left feeling frustrated according to the version because of events he could contradicted vote. by a white house official now the anecdote the aide said was greeted with silence and mr trump was prodded to change the subject by reince priebus the white house chief of staff and senator john cornyn here's the problem bernard longer lives in boca raton florida he is a german Citizen Glenn reached out to Bernard Longer's daughter. Said, "Not only is he a German citizen, he is not a friend of Donald Trump's, nor is he a supporter." Right, and so he can't vote because he's not an American. If he had voted, it would have. <laughs> that, then Donald Trump would have had illegal people here illegally voting for him. So he bases his whole contention on this so-called friend who is not his friend who was denied, wasn't able to vote, which he should not have been able to vote because he is not an American citizen. That's what all this thing is, 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 is based on, friends. It is just absolutely insane. And, of course, now Donald Trump is going to use that to go out, have this investigation, and then you watch. Republicans are going to seize on that, and they're going to use that as an excuse to have nationwide voter suppression 
not just state by state anymore. It's going to be out of this Congress. It's going to be out of this White House, which will entail things like getting rid of early voting or shortening early voting. You won't be able to register, pardon me, register to vote on the same day. Voter, photo voter ID, you know that's coming. Uh, they'll do whatever they can to make it more difficult to vote instead of what Americans should be doing is making it easier and encouraging people to vote and making it easier to vote. No, no, no. There's one other, but by the way, uh, there's, there's one other question about this, which is the New York Times, in reporting this story uh, about what Donald Trump told congressional leaders, they said he repeats an election lie. There's been a lot of talk about whether or not you should call it a lie or whether you should call it an exaggeration or whether you should call it a falsehood or whether you should call it a misunderstanding. <laughs> you know what? No. I think you ought to call it exactly what it is. Donald Trump knows what he's doing. He is lying. He lied his way about everything, emails, you name it, all through the, the primary campaign, all through the general election campaign, and now it continues in the White House. And it didn't start when he ran for office. Interesting. The New York Times yesterday pointed out that, you know, every a year they have the uh, TV critics have a big meeting. When I was at Crossfire, we used to go to that and little dog and pony show, you get the talent there, and they'd all talk to the TV critics about our show. <laughs> yeah. I remember going with Mary Madeline and Bob Novak. And um, and so Donald Trump goes to Celebrity Apprentice in 2015, and he told the TV critics that the Celebrity Apprentice was the number one show on television. Uh, and the critics, who know their stuff and know the ratings, said, uh, no, Mr. Trump, that is, uh, that's not true. Um, so then he said, oh, oh well, uh, what I really meant to say was it's the number one show on Monday night television. Is that true? Uh, it was not the number one show okay. on that Monday night either. In fact, that particular year, which was 2015, it finished the season in 67th place. Oof. Doesn't stop Donald Trump. A lie? Damn right it's a lie. Call it. A lie. The president is a pathological liar. He cannot tell the truth. And when that happens, then we are all in trouble because his credibility suffers, the credibility of the White House suffers, the credibility of the United States suffers. When you cannot believe a word that the president of the United States says, we are all in serious trouble. Brad Woodhouse joining us in the studio this morning. Hello, Brad. Hey, how you doing, Bill? Is there going to be, is there yet an organized opposition to Donald Trump? If so, who's leading it? Where's it come from? Well, look, there there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of opposition to Donald Trump. And and I think I think most all of it is most all of it is needed. Look, I think the most important most important opposition um well, I, I, I don't want to limit it to this, but I think the most important opposition is is in the Senate. Um, you know that that is that is where uh, that is where you can either uh, grind the gears, throw sand in the gears, or you can actually you can actually have the the, the effect of stopping some of the worst uh, some of the worst policies. I mean, you know, for all their victories in November, uh, they lost seats uh, they lost seats uh, net in the Senate. It's a narrow uh, it's a narrow majority, and there are I think some 
uh, Republican senators, or at least my hope is, always my hope is, that there are a handful of Republican senators that are only going to go so far with, you know, with Donald Trump. I mean, you see there's kind of among several Republican senators a visceral reaction to his suggestion that there were all, there was this voter fraud uh, in the in the mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, some of his nominees uh, for cabinet have gotten as tough a time from Republicans as they have from Democrats. So it, it's going to take them are not excited about torture. Some are some are not excited about <laughs> torture. But I, but I think it's going to be Democrats, um, you know, in the Senate. Now, look, my 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 view is is uh, uh, is what I what I saw Tom Perez say somewhere. Uh, they uh, uh, Democrats in the Senate should afford uh, Donald Trump the same level of respect that Mitch McConnell showed uh, Barack Obama. In other words, and Merrick Garland. I, and Merrick Garland. In other words, they should uh, they should oppose this president with every fiber in their in their being because to normalize him uh, to to say well you know this is a pretty good infrastructure plan let's. You know, let's um, let, let's pass this or or, you know, we can you know, this is not this is not a tell of the hun. So let's not filibuster the Supreme Court nominee would be would be to really allow what I think a lot of people believe is an illegitimate president in many uh, in many respects uh, to, to be to be normalized and to, to have his party succeed uh, in, you know, in ways that, that will not be good for the American people and certainly wouldn't be good for the Democratic Party that's trying to that's trying to rebuild and win in in future in future elections. So that is a critical piece. Right. But I, but I I think what you said earlier about what's going on in the states and what's going on with Democratic governors and what's going on with Democratic mayors but, yeah. in defending the rights of people of immigrants uh, and and of others and I would add to that Democratic attorney generals. Yes. Because I yes. believe yes. I, I, yeah. I believe that there are that there and I'm not a lawyer but I believe that there there've got to be ways to hold Trump accountable for his business record uh for things that his companies have done in states that have not been uh that have not been prosecuted yet that have not been investigated yet you know there's one that we were kicking around uh <coughs> kicking around months back to, that we were going to ask the attorney general in New York now he's got his plate full a lot of you know, I think he's already still negotiating uh, with the Trump Foundation on on that on that issue, but it's to investigate the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign is is, is was full of conflicts of interest, and and of course uh, is still in existence, uh, and w- it was full of self dealing. And it, just the example of uh, of how they raised the rent that the the Trump Tower raised the rent that they charged the. That they charged the campaign once he became uh, yeah, once he became so the nominee make, of the party, so they could so they can make so they can make more money. But more more to that point, it was Donald Trump was bringing in all this all this donor money, uh, and then and then spending that money uh, on uh, on his businesses. And so I think there's a lot to be done with uh, Democratic Attorney General. And in terms of his policies too, <clears throat> so you got the campaign, his policies. If th- that uh, and I was just going to point out. You know, we not only have Javier Becerra now, the new attorney general in California, yep. who's going to be a tiger, but uh, they've they've hired the legislature hired Eric Holder, correct, right, uh, for the sole purpose <laughs> of opposing and leak, uh, taking to court if necessary if Donald Trump tries to undo Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. as part of ACA. Yep. If Donald Trump really tries to shut down these sanctuary cities or send God knows what he tries, yep. does they're gonna they're gonna fight back. On climate change, they're not going to accept Donald right. Trump. So right. that's where I think a lot of the opposition will come from. Right. And what do they have to lose? Nothing. Well, exactly right. And I, so I think the courts are, are going to be a really important. I mean, look, we, we saw the Republicans did this. They. they- 
Obamacare up in knots, um, you know, for many years with uh, with, with suits they took to the court. They've obviously yeah. took the Clean yeah. Power Plan uh, to the to the federal courts, and I and I think now it's uh, it's our turn to. Uh, to do that, to, to do, do that, to Donald now. What Trump. about the grassroots side? Well, of here, here, now, here is we, where we all saw this: these marches all across yeah. the country, millions of people on on Saturday. You know, people I've never are, seen anything are, like what we saw on Saturday. Not, not, no. not I mean, in my you and lifetime. I both live on the hill. It was yeah. a flood of people. <clears throat> We didn't see that on the, inaug- the no. day before. No, you didn't see that in no. favor of Trump the day before. But also, you know, you go back, over, say, go back over the last decade and a half or so. I mean, th- there was, you know, th- we had a we've had a lot of support and opposition for progressive uh, for progressive issues over the years. But I don't even remember in opposing the war that we had uh, the type of uh, one day of, of action. I mean, th- th- and this wasn't just in this country. I mean, this was all around the world that yeah, these marches yeah. were uh, that these marches were taking right. place. So how do we, you know, harness that? Well, that so that that is where does it what's it directed at and who leads it? I well, so that 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 is the thing that I'm that I'm most interested in. I think the the biggest uh, deficit we have is in kind of progressive grassroots issue advocacy in the in the states um and you know it's for a variety of reasons you know some of the uh criticisms self-criticisms we've had of ourselves over the years that we're very fragmented people are in issue silos so they'll work on they work on one issue but they're they they don't want to put grassroots uh resources or funding behind you know behind other issues and we really lack uh and i'm i'm talking about outside the party here i think it's a whole other discussion about how the future chair we'll, of the we'll Democratic get Party we'll get that. We'll builds, get that, right. you know, builds the state parties. But we, we, we yeah. need, and I hate to do anything to even sound like a compliment. We need something more like what the Koch brothers have uh, on the left. We need, we need dedicated multi-issue uh, advocacy in the states that is there and is permanent and is going to be there election after election after election and can develop a grassroots following and harness. The type of energy that you saw that you saw on on Saturday, um, I tell you know I tell this story because I know it from you know basically personal experience. My brother ran America's Prosperity in North Carolina, asshole. Um, <laughs> but he he ran America's Prosperity in North Carolina for the Koch brothers for I don't know four or five years, and you know and the fact that they funded that operation year in and year out meant that he could develop a following. He 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 helped mm-hmm. he helped prop up and and, and create a bench of. Uh, of Republican uh, of Republican office holders, he helped get Pat McCrory elected the first time uh, in in twenty uh, you know in twenty twelve, and it's because they were there year in year out. They had a lobbying operation, a grassroots operation, yeah, a digital yeah. operation, and an earned media operation. And and you say all that, but it wasn't a big. You didn't have to have a lot of people to do that, but you had to have steady investment. And we have nothing like that. We we that. we we have I mean, very a lot of little great organizations. We have very little there, like that. No, we have very little like that on the left. We have um, we have a number of groups that that have grassroots capacity in the state, but for the most part, it's not multi multi issue. And then when we do come up on a campaign like like say the Gar- say the Merrick Garland when he was nominated, you know we went out and we hired consultants in the states to do can't do a campaign to pressure Republicans to take up the Garland nomination, and we did that for four or five months. But then the Garland nomination clearly wasn't going anywhere, so you know those those consultants went away, and there was nothing sustained mm-hmm. on to the next on to the next issue. So that that is uh, th- that is the thing that I've been preaching for for years, and I think I think that's smart. 
I think that's I think really, that have, really smart. And I think that we I think that we have to have it. Now the unions and Tom Steyer have begun to move in that direction with, with For Our Future, which is which is a super PAC, uh, which was in I think seven states going into the um uh, going into the general election in the in the fall, and I and they're it seems they're going to keep that that infrastructure around. And I'm not even suggesting that we need to be in 50 states, um, but we should take the core states that we that we need to be in. Like I would at least start with let's commit to being in the states for key states that are important to 2018 for two years, and not do it on a project by project basis, but be there and build something all the way through the election. Yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. We are here in Washington, D.C., uh, looking at what's going on uh, with the help of Elena Schneider at, uh, in the Congress, where there are still quite a few cabinet nominees to be confirmed uh, or rejected, and looking at what's going on down at the Trump White House uh, the president goes up to Philadelphia today to speak to the retreat of House Republicans uh, and senators. Just a quick trip up and back. So, Elena, if you talk about Capitol Hill um, and and the Congress and the cabinet nominees, mm-hmm. we have, what, four confirmed now, I think, so far. Is that the right? total with Nikki Haley yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. believe it's four. Yeah, we're at four right. now. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, are it, what do you see as uh, in terms of what's going to happen to the rest of them? Um, are they slam dunk getting confirmed, or are any of them Democrats going to be successful in blocking any of them at all? What's your read? I, I think that uh, Republicans have a majority, and they're also have a few Democrats who are looking at red states that they're going to be running in in 2018. So there are some people who are just simply aware of their you know, political presence. And, and this is maybe they can sort of argue that this is not necessarily the most meaningful vote in the world, but one in which they're being bipartisan. Uh, if you look at one example that was pretty surprising to people last night was Elizabeth Warren deciding that she was going to back Ben Carson mm-hmm. as one. I mean, and she's not running necessarily in a in a red state, but as one where she's trying to look for um, some bipartisanship, because certainly a fair or not, Democrats have been pretty harshly criticized about their method about going around going about this, this these confirmation hearings. Uh, so I would I would uh, generally say that that most of these are going to proceed but labor secretary is one who heard a lot of talk about whether or not you know there was some question whether or not he would do it at all even to begin with because there were sort of questions about ethics and personal relationships that um that reporting was done on him but you know he'll he'll go before in early february so we'll see what happens with those but it seems pretty likely that most of them will get through yeah because we know that uh, republicans would never 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 consider uh not giving a an obama nominee 
a fair hearing. Or a vote. Right, right, of course. Would never have happened. Yes, there is, of course, a, a deep irony, you know, that goes through all of this. But that's sort of the nature of Washington, right? You know, they hope that you that their voters have short memories. And we remember the famous letter that Mitch McConnell sent to Barack <laughs> Obama. <laughs> and the Chuck Schumer <laughs> right, sent, right. sent the same letter to uh, President Trump. But speaking of uh, counting on Democrats to hold the line and oppose these people who are not qualified to hold these positions, it hasn't kind of worked out that way, has it, Peter? There's a, No, we have a whole list of who voted how on the first four confirmations. John Kelly, J- uh, James Mattis, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand voted yes on Nikki Haley. Otherwise, she voted no on everybody. Other than that, the large majority of the Democrats voted for three out of four of the picks. Uh, Maggie Hassan f- voted yes on all four of them. Uh, Kamala Harris voted on two out of four. Cory Booker voted for two out of four. Cory Booker, who put out a video day before yesterday, that was just like, we have to resist. We have to stop them at every pass and every chance that the Trump administration tries to advance their ideology. We have to stop that. He voted 50% so far on the Trump uh, appointees. Uh, Tim Kaine has voted yes on every one of them. Heidi Heitkamp has voted yes on every one of them. Angus King is an independent. He's voted yes on every one of them. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has voted for two out of four. Tammy Duckworth, three out of four. Brian Schatz, all four of them. He's voted yes on Joe Manchin. Duh. <laughs> Al Franken, three out of four. Um, there's not a like a unified line here of we're going to stop the advance of 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 the Trump ideology from Senate Democrats anyway. It seems what they're thinking is we can't vote against them all. Right. So and I therefore, think- we're going to maybe hold our I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm trying to give them hold our fire until the really bad ones like Jeff Sessions and Betsy DeVos. Right. And I think, too, that and EPA. these are pretty these are pretty universally, uh, you know, more mainstream is maybe the best way to put it. People who have been in office before, who have vetted before, who have some uh, understanding. I mean, Nikki Haley has not necessarily worked in international relations before, but is one who uh, has garnered a lot of respect for her decisions, especially as it relates to the Confederate flag being taken down. So these are people who are not necessarily uh, the ones who are going to stir up uh, sentiments like Betsy DeVos or Jeff Sessions or um, Pudzer for Labor. I mean, so I think that there are Pruitt, other people. Pruitt at uh, right, Pruitt at the APA. So I think you're right in that there is an element of needing to hold their fire for people who they feel like they might actually be able to, uh, you know, affect some uh, some change. Elise Foley is immigration reporter for the Huffington Post Sanctuary Cities. Uh, do you know how many there are and what what do they do? And again, how can Donald Trump turn them around? So uh, they, I think some estimates, they, people define it in different ways, but are that there are about 300. Um, and there's such a big variety of what that actually means. I think a lot of people think that it means that these places take all undocumented people and they refuse to, you know, they do whatever they can to prevent all undocumented people from being deported. And the term is applied to some places that try to have these really um, pro-immigrant communities like San Francisco, New York. But what it actually means when you look at the details, and I think a lot of people don't, is that these places limit their cooperation with ICE in some way. 
There isn't anywhere really in the country that completely refuses to work with ICE. Uh, when people are arrested, their fingerprints end up going to ICE. So the ICE is aware. What people do and uh, these jurisdictions do is release people when certain people when they otherwise would be released. So say, um, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. Say I was released and I or arrested and I paid my bond. They would let me go. Um, if I was arrested for some low level crime. Right. If I was undocumented. They also would let you know yeah. let me go. Right. Um, if you are a uh, murderer or something, or you have a past criminal conviction, that's something really serious like no, that. That's my then they, they they don't let you go even right. in those places. No, that's my understanding too. If you got a, if you commit a serious crime, if you have a serious criminal record, then they will turn you over to ICE. But if you're stopped for a traffic violation, it turns out you, you're not a documented. So they're not going to turn your. They're not going to. Make a cause with that. They're just going to let you go, right? And there are people and, who are arrested and never charged with a crime. Yeah, I mean, right. Those people are let go. But what what is interesting is so again, uh, what impact? Uh, how could Donald Trump force these cities to do otherwise? Uh, seems unlikely. They could cut off federal funding to some of these cities. But for example, Rahm Emanuel from Chicago. Uh, yesterday, uh, one of many mayors who spoke out about this, mayors of sanctuary cities, saying we're going to remain a sanctuary city. Uh, here's Rahm Emanuel yesterday. Whether you're from Poland or Pakistan, whether you're from Ireland or India or Israel, and whether you're from Mexico or Moldova, where my grandfather came from, you are welcomed in Chicago as you pursue the American dream. Yeah. So... And we heard earlier from the mayor of Minneapolis, the mayor of Seattle, uh, Governor Jerry Brown in uh, in California. If we can hear Jerry again, there are 18 sanctuary cities in California. They're all going to remain defiantly sanctuary cities. We will defend everybody, every man, woman, and child who's come here for a better life and has contributed to the well-being of our state. You know, they've hired uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder to help them fight uh, any of these Donald Trump policies that are agreed with. So, again, uh, one thing for Donald Trump to say that, but turning it around, you know, it's going to depend on some cooperation from mayors and governors, which he may not get. He's not going to get. Yeah. And I mean, and sheriffs. I mean, this goes goes all the way down the line. Police forces, right. Yeah. Yeah. Police chiefs have to say this is a priority for us. Absolutely. And a lot of them say that it actually hurts community policing, makes people afraid to come forward and report crimes. Um, And I think one of the biggest elements of this is that a lot of people say, and the courts have said in some instances, that you can't hold people beyond when you otherwise would um, just based on something to do with immigration. So they're saying that they are also trying to avoid lawsuits and that uh, the Trump administration cannot withhold federal funding to force them to do something that is not legal. So that'll be, I think, the big legal battle over this is over whether he has the authority to tell them to do this if it, in fact, is not constitutional detention. All right. Now, there's a, another executive order which uh, he's talked about and may come out as early as today, which is kind of a third wave of this, um, which is a so-called ban on Muslims. At one time, probably during the campaign, he said we're going to prevent any Muslims from entering this country. And then it was sort of refined to, well, 
we will just ban Muslims from countries that we consider to be hostile to the United States. Um, it, it, what do we know about that, and what countries are targeted? Well, I, I'm forgetting the exact number of countries, but uh, it is ones that are on these lists of being hostile to the U.S. So it's not every Muslim-majority country in the world. Saudi Arabia, I believe, is not on the list, but there are other countries that are a lot Syria's of other countries. Syria's number one. Yes, yeah, Syria. Uh, I believe Somalia is on the list. Yemen um, is yeah. on the list. Uh, I'm, forget I'm forgetting all Iraq of them. Iraq is also on the list, surprisingly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of places where things are really bad and why people, for understandable reasons, might want to leave those countries. A lot of you know refugees are refugees from Syria because things are bad there. Um, and this would be, the goal would be to prevent them from, you know, having that chance. Um, and I think it, you know, since it leaves out some m Muslims, it allows them to sort of say that they're not, it's no, oh, it's not a Muslim ban. And, you know, maybe Republicans to get behind it because, well, we said we wouldn't support a Muslim ban, but this isn't a Muslim ban. But in fact, the people it's targeting are clearly Muslims. The questions that they want to ask are clearly aimed to keep out Muslims. Yeah. There was a report on CBS News last night uh, talking to some Iraqi soldiers uh, who are fighting alongside of America, American forces that are there um, against ISIS. And they were saying, hey, we're working with Americans to try to get rid of ISIS. Why is he targeting us? Why is he our families? You know, why, why, why is he taking us? We're, you know, we're helping you, out, you guys out. You know, why is he doing that? And then you also mentioned Syria. I mean, if there's any place that you would want to flee, if you could, with your family, it's this, what, four or five year almost now, civil mm -hmm. war in Syria and hundreds of thousands killed in the bombing there, the indiscriminate bomb on the part of the war crimes on the part of the Syrian government and Russia, right? Uh, and some of those families, they can't come here because Donald Trump, because they're it's, Muslim. It's based on kind of this theory that, oh, well, a terrorist could get through the system if you were a terrorist you could try and take this route mm -hmm. there's not really any proof that anyone has successfully done so there's kind of been talk of uh people trying to do it but uh, it is not there's no proof that anyone actually has it would take forever i mean it's not really the most efficient path to try and get into the country but it's sort of this based on fear this idea that, you know, maybe somebody could. So let's make sure that, you know, we shut the whole thing down. I think one thing that uh, is a, a little what was it, frustrating 10, 000, to me in watching it. 10,000, Peter, I think, came in from Syria in the last year of President yes. Obama. Yeah, yeah 10, that was his that was goal. Yeah, and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he succeeded. Actually, yes. a little bit more than that. Right. Yeah. Um, and but the majority women and children. compared to what other countries took in. Yeah. Yeah. And and a different system. So if you're in Europe, you have people showing up at the border, sort of the same way that it happens in Central America. Yeah. For right. Central Americans here, they in the U.S., in, right. we approve them before that. So any comparison to sort of what's happened in those countries and what could happen here, there is it's a false. completely different system. You can't you can't compare this. I have a bold prediction, by the way. If you are, let's say, a Syrian Christian. Which exists, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think you'll be able to get into the country. Maybe, right? Like, I think so. I mean, there I don't been... think that's going to be a problem. I really don't think it's a, a, an issue of countries as it is strictly religion. 
Yeah, they'll. I think they'll make carve outs. There have been, um, you know, Ted Cruz has spoken a lot about this. There have been a lot of Republicans who say we should do more to accept Christians. Notably, religious groups, uh, a, a lot of them disagree with that and say, yeah. you know, Christian groups say, no, don't <laughs> don't only accept Christians. That's not, you know, what that's not very the, Christian. The Christian yeah, that's exactly, way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God <laughs> damn it. This is so scary. I mean, one of the things is that when you talk or when the people who support this type of thing talk about this, they make it sound like there's anyone who opposes vetting. Everybody says there should be vetting. There's nobody who says we should accept all refugees, regardless of nobody wants to accept yeah. terrorists. Nobody wants to not screen for that. No, it's just so bad. it's a difference between saying that we should have reasonable screening and, imp- you know, saying that no screening it, is good enough. It's playing on the native nativist fears, and unfortunately, too many people buy buy, buy into that. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, if we've learned one thing this week, we have learned this, that elections have consequences. Indeed, in just three days, we've seen Donald Trump turn the United States upside down from a compassionate, forward-looking, united world leader to a mean, divided, backward-looking third-world country. He's done it by signing a flurry of executive orders that do a lot of harm, raising the cost of mortgages on American families, taking health insurance away from 22 million Americans, building two environmentally disastrous pipelines, denying funding for family planning worldwide, forcing American taxpayers to pay for his stupid wall, and on and on. And there's still more to come, every one of them, worse than the one before it. Again, the bottom line, elections have consequences, and the results of this election are turning out to be far worse than we even feared. Someday, I'm convinced the American people, even those who voted for Donald Trump, will come to the realization that we've sent a madman to the White House and the populace will rise up against him. Someday. But meanwhile, we're stuck with the least qualified and most destructive president in our history. So to all those five million Democrats who didn't turn out to vote on November 8th, and to all those Democrats who voted for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, I just have one thing to say. Shame on you. Or I'd rather say, F you. This is The Bill Press Show.